Good morning. What a privilege it is to be here on Easter Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. I received a few texts this morning, as I always do, about the resurrection. And uh, one person said that, I just want you to know that Jesus is alive. And I said, well, do you have any evidence to prove it? (laughs) And his response was, yes. (laughs) How many have evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your own life? In your own life. Praise the Lord. Well, how do you stand before such a group of people this morning uh, who've been faithful to the Lord for so many years? I kind of had to rehearse myself. It's been a few years since we lived here, and time goes so fast. And so I called Pastor Don and I said, Tell me once again. When was this church started? How many know how many years it's been since this church started? One, two, two people, maybe three. Eighty-eight years. Think of it. Eighty-eight years. And as far as uh, uh, Don's parents, they started, was is it 50 years? 50 years ago that the... <clears throat> The Schultz family has been in leadership in this church. Now that almost sounds like a jubilee year to me. Amen. 50 years of jubilee. And that's what uh, we want to address this morning, this subject of jubilee. Because it's such an important subject. And the good news is that we, in our generation, get, in, get to be involved in the best part of Jubilee, the best part, because all the Jubilees of the past led up to a point in history when the full release of the Jubilee principle took place, and you and I today in 2018 have the privilege to participate in Jubilee. And all the benefits of Jubilee. And so I want you to think with me this morning, if you will, as I try to just give you a brief survey and try to give you a little bit of a picture of the beginning of Jubilee, why it started, what the effects of it were, what the benefits were to the nation of Israel, and how you and I have been grafted into something that, make, that qualifies us also to participate in this wonderful event that we call the Jubilee. And the good news, it's not just for grandpa and grandma. It's not just for the aged It's not just for the little babies, but it's for everybody in between. This is a family proclamation. The benefit is to for every family, every nation, 
in the whole world. The original Jubilee was only for one nation. Think of it. One nation could, could only make this proclamation within a certain time limit, but we in our generation have no restrictions or no limitations. The whole release, the full release, the liberation, the liberty, the freedom, the jubilee is for every generation. They had a time limit in which they could actually celebrate this festival. It was limited to a two-year period, starting in the 49th year and continuing on till the end of the 50th year. But think of it. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the, how many know he's the high priest? The high priest. He was the one that blew the trumpet. He was the one that made the declaration, the proclamation. Well, I want you to know that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is our high priest right now. And he is our guarantor. How many glad you got a co-signer? Yes. <laughs> How many's ever been in debt and had to have a co-signer? Come on. Well, Jesus is your co-signer. Hallelujah. Yes. And remember, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the creator of everything that ever was created, both in heaven and earth. And he's our co-signer. So you have the benefit today of so many things that this wonderful jubilee represents. I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And one of the wonderful things about jubilee, there's no restraints, no time limit. And that's what Don has given me. So turn your watches off, turn your phones off, turn your computers off. Whatever you carry with you to keep track of what's going on, turn everything off because I've been given a no restricted time limit this morning. And so we want you to get the full load, the full message. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to his own church. How many know Jesus is a member of a church? That's right. It's the first church, first synagogue in the city of Nazareth. And so in Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, we're going to take you back from there just a mo- in just a moment to, to, to lead up to this point. But it says, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. From the time that Jesus the stepfather of Jesus was, was told to leave Egypt and come back once again to Israel because the king was dead that wanted to kill Jesus. He came back and they settled down once again when Jesus was somewhere between three and four years old. 
A lot of people get this history a little bit mixed up. We have the, the shepherds and the kings and all buddy together. You know, that's not the true picture of it. But he comes back and Jesus is raised in the city of Nazareth. Now think of it. Jesus is 30 years old. 30 years old. He'd probably never been very far away from, Jerusalem, from uh, Nazareth, except three times a year, he had to go up to Jerusalem at certain festivities, which were required for every male child to come before the, the, the Lord. So 30 times three, that's quite a few trips that he made to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, that is, how many is that anyway? Anybody got their... You have to carry a calculator with you nowadays also. But three, when I was in school, three times nine was 27. And he had a zero on that. So Jesus must have visited Jerusalem at 270 times at least. Isn't that amazing? Coming, he appeared before the Lord for at least 270 times. And we know he did it once before that, at least because his parents brought him to present him to the Lord. So Jesus, then he grew up in a fairly small community. The stepson of Joseph, who was known as Joseph the carpenter. I believe that he was a master craftsman. And he taught his son how to be a master craftsman. So now at 30 years old, Jesus had just come from being baptized. And he goes into Capernaum after being tempted the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. He visited a, a, a short time in the area of Capernaum. And the Bible tells us that while he was there, he returned in the power of the Spirit, and he taught in their synagogues, and then finally he arrives once again to his, only home, his own hometown. Now just imagine if you can. Something has happened to Jesus. He's not the same Jesus as he was a few days ago. Because he heard in Nazareth... Probably somebody came to his carpenter shop and said, have you heard about what's going on down in Jericho? What's going on in Jericho? There is a prophet that is preaching down there that everybody has to repent and they must be baptized. His name is John the Baptist. And so Jesus hears this news. And so the Bible says that Jesus, when he heard the news that John was down at Jordan baptizing, something awakened in his heart. And he said, I got to get to Jericho. And so Jesus came down to Jericho and he meets John the Baptist and he said, I must be baptized by you. And John said, oh, no, no. I'm not even worthy to tie your shoelaces, let alone to baptize you. And Jesus said, it's necessary for me to fulfill all righteousness. 
So something amazing happens in that baptismal service. The Bible says that John and Jesus went down into the water, and Jesus, as he was praying, suddenly John baptizes him, and as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit appears in bodily form as a dove and begins to hover over Jesus. And the heavens were open. The heavens have been closed for almost 700 years. No special message from Almighty God for seven years. And all at once, a thundering voice speaks out these words. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in verse 14, the previous verse here, it says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. He goes into his own synagogue, where it was a custom. A custom. It was his custom. As his custom was. What was that custom? Every Sabbath day, Jesus, for 30 years, went to his own synagogue. They knew him. We know that Jesus was a participant. He was probably a cantor. A cantor sang, and somebody who participated in the worship by reading scriptures. And as soon as Jesus arrived, what's the Bible says in verse 17? He was handed the book. I like that. Not handed a book. The book. How many know there's only one book that is really worthy of being handed to the Son of God? He was handed the book. And out of that book, Jesus sought to find a scripture. He looked for it. He searched for it. And he found it. And out of that book, he not only read it, but he began to preach and make a declaration. So let's read that. As he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, when he'd opened the book, he found the place. He found Isaiah 61, if you want to check this out. And... He summarizes, that it summarizes here, but we won't take time to read that whole chapter. But I want you to know some very, notice some very important things. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim to the captives. Now, this proclamation, everybody that knew the book of Isaiah and knew what that prophecy was referring to, they knew it came out of Leviticus chapter 25. Now, there are several scripture portions that we could read, but we'd be here reading a long time. 
because the Bible gives many scripture portions relating to the Jubilee, the year of release, and something that happened every seven years in their calendar for over 1,100 years. Remember, the nation of Israel came out of slavery, right? They were slaves. Genesis 15, 13 tells us that they were in slavery. How many years? 40 years? No, 450 years. The nation of Israel is in slavery to the Egyptians. And it was only until Moses came that God heard the cry of these people, these slaves, and God sent Moses to lead them out. And then they ended up going into the land of Canaan after 40 years. And each one of them, each family, there was somewhere between four to six, seven million people divided into 12 different tribes. And each family, each tribal family, received an inheritance, a portion of land. And God said, all the land belongs to me. So it shall never, never be sold forever. And so as a result of this, Jesus, now this young preacher, stands up and makes a proclamation to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's called the year of release. The year of release. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant. One of the attendants, one of the deacons in the local synagogue and The Bible says he sat down. The place is silent. All eyes are looking around. All eyes are fixed, focused on Jesus. Who dare would stand up and read a scripture from a prophet who wrote this 700 years prior and apply it to himself? Who would dare? Who would have the audacity? Who would have the anointing? Only a special anointed, only a prophet could declare something like that. And they got their eyes all fixed upon him and they began to say to him, Excuse me. And he began to say to them, pardon me. He began to say to them, now this this is outstanding. This is outstanding. He doesn't say, isn't this a wonderful promise to the children of Israel? Soon we're going to celebrate another jubilee. Soon the trumpet is going to blow In the 49th year, and there's going to be some amazing promises fulfilled during the next two years. No, listen to what he says. 
He said, today this scripture is completed. It's fulfilled. Not in the millennium. Not in the eternal kingdom, in the eternities in the future. But 2,000 years ago, a young Jewish preacher, teacher, said today, this scripture is. Today, on a special day, they didn't realize when they came to church that Sabbath morning, they didn't realize what they were going to hear. They did not realize that they was going to have a fulfillment of hundreds of years of promises in history take place in a moment. And we never know when we come together that we are having a historic event. That's why the Bible says that concerning John, when he came and he began to preach, the Bible says all the people were living in expectation. You see, we ought to be so excited this morning on this resurrection day that we are gathered together where the same Holy Spirit, which was upon Jesus when Jesus prophesied and made a proclamation, the same Holy Spirit is here today. We ought to be in expectation, realizing that we may be having a momentous event in history take place right now. It can happen for sure, I guarantee you, in your life and your family. Some of you have been waiting for great and amazing things to happen. Why wait any longer? Jesus made a proclamation 2,000 years ago that we need to understand. And so the Bible says... All bore witness and marveled. Marveled. Now, most of us get turned on by something. You know, in in the spirit world and in the church world, and wherever the gospel being preached, we got people that categorize spiritual levels. And some people are mesmerized if they have a dream, mesmerized if they have a vision, mesmerized if they see a miracle, mesmerized if somebody gets healed. It should be a normal thing in our life to have experiences in God, life-changing events. I've had a few in my life. I can go back and tell you when I thought, The greatest thing that could ever happen to me is if I could go to eight years of college and become a veterinarian. By the time the Lord was finished with me and my wife, who was not my wife yet, had prayed for me that God would get a hold of my heart, I no longer wanted to be a veterinarian. That's what I am now. I take care of sick sheep. Sometimes they act like chickens, you know, instead of sheep. But anyway, how many's had a life-changing experience in your? You're just about ripe for it right now. Most of you don't even realize it. I will get to my subject eventually. 
They bore, they, they, bore, they bore witness to him. They marveled at him. They marveled at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. Why? Did you know that every word that Jesus spoke was spirit and life? Think of it. Every time you turn to the book of John, I'm so amazed at John. The book of John, the gospel of John. It, it has more in there about the intimate relationship that Jesus had with his father and we can have with him than all the other four gospels. But I'm amazed at how, how that John was so intent on, on making declarations about what came out of the mouth of Jesus. Think of it. Every word that came out of his mouth, when you read it, it came out of his mouth. It was transported or translated and put on paper. And now we read it in English. Originally, it was in, in, in Hebrew and in other languages. Now we've got it. And we got how many translations we got now. One of the problems I have, I say, please turn to so-and-so. They can't find it because they say, well, that's not what my Bible says. I thank God for old King Jimmy, you know, but, but it's easier to read new King Jimmy and some of the others, and I appreciate them. But anyway, the, the point is this. Whatever came out of the mouth of Jesus is just as powerful on the pages here as it was when he spoke it. And that's why we need to reverence his word and not just take it for granted I remember my dad made me made sure I read a portion of scripture every night before I went to bed and when I got up in the morning. So I'd thumb through the Bible and find the shortest psalm I could find and read it. Dad, I did what you told me to do. Well, don't read the Bible like that because it's spirit and it's life. And they said this, isn't this... Joseph's son? How could Joseph dare to declare a carpenter? Look at his hands. You can prove he's a carpenter. The blisters. I mean, the calluses on his hands. That's not the, that's not the, uh, the, the, the fingers of a high priest or a Levite. This is, you mean to tell me somebody that came from a carpenter's shop Dare said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then the next scene we see, verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with happiness. Is that what your Bible says? They were filled with rage. They were filled with his rage because Jesus dared to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's right in the center of these, this scripture here. I got, a, I got in red and a big X right next to mine to remind me to proclaim liberty to the captives right is in the center of this whole anointed portion of Scripture. And they were filled with rage 
And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of the hill in which the city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Think of it. Now, the importance of this statement cannot be underestimated. Why were they in such a rage? Well, first of all, I think that it's such a rage because it came from the wrong person. They didn't recognize who he was. To them, he was just a young boy that had been raised in local church, Sunday school, you know, became part of the choir, worship leader in the church. I mean, they, nobody, nobody in Ellsworth, has anything good ever come out of Ellsworth, Wisconsin? That's what they said about Jesus. Can any good thing come out of where he came from? We need to learn to respect and to honor the faithfulness of God's people. The greatest people that you know are sitting right here in these seats. The people that will lay down their life for you are here. The people that's willing to invest and give and care for you and love you and pray for you and accept you as you are, even, as, uh, even though you're not as perfect as I am. <coughs> Just ask my wife. <laughs> no. You're willing, to, you're willing to help each other, assist each other through tears of joy and tears of sorrow. I've been to a few funerals in this church, participated in a few funerals myself. People that I love, people that you love, they're in heaven right now. And they gave in the last 88 years how many hundreds and maybe thousands of people have been on this piece of property. And wherever they, wherever they go, once you step on this property and in this church, you are changed forever. And wherever you go, you take the essence of what has happened to you here. Missionaries. My wife and I were privileged to be a part of this church for seven years. And this church sent us all over the world. I visited somewhere around 55 or 60 countries. I don't know now. I'm leaving to go to France in about uh, a little over a month again. Just got back from Peru. And this church has sent missionaries, supported missionaries. Why? Because a proclamation needs to be made. It has to be declared something that has already taken place, already in place. We're not waiting for it because Jesus said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. A lot of people are waiting for a grand finale, finale of a jubilee service someplace in heaven. Well, at the end of this message, if I ever get there, I'll tell you what I believe the grand finale is. But we want to take a look. There are six points of this gospel announcement that Jesus said are fulfilled. The word fulfilled comes from the Greek word pleru, pleru. 
It's not something that's prophetic that's going to take place 3,000 years from now. It means replete to fully provide. To fully provide. To furnish. To diffuse. To execute. To finish. Any period or task. To verify. To accomplish. To complete the supply. Jesus was looking at a Jewish congregation. They were acquainted every seven years. God told the children of Israel way back in Leviticus chapter 25, and, and it's in, it's in uh, Deuteronomy 15, it's in many other places in the Old Testament, even in Jeremiah chapter 36. It talks about... A year of release every seven years. A trumpet was blown in the land. An announcement was made that everybody had to be able to hear. <coughs> so the, somebody went through the land blowing a trumpet. Anytime there's a blowing a trumpet, it meant there was a call. And God says every seven years, not just the males, but every seven years, every person with Jewish descent, Israeli descent in their life, had to come and appear before the Lord. Every seven years. And during that, that year of celebration, they did not plant any seed. It was a Sabbath for the land. So on the sixth year, they had to have enough produce to last for two years, because they wouldn't plant the next year, and it would be another year until they actually had another harvest. So God said, I'll, I'll, I'll make you a deal. Your ground is going to produce enough in the sixth year to cover the next two years, so that you'll have enough. And guess what? It did. So the land had a rest, okay? Secondly, Anybody that was in debt had any grudges against anybody. They had to be settled within that seven-year period. So you could hold a grudge only for six years. Remember, Peter asked Jesus, how many times can I forgive? How many times can they say? Not, not, not just seven times, but 70 times. 70, I think it was. That's, I think that's 490 times. Well, how many know you quit counting once, once you get up to 100? <laughs> anyway, you could not hold a grudge. You could not, you could not owe somebody, somebody something. A limit was six years. And in the seventh year, if you could not afford to pay the debt, guess what? If I owed Brother Treadwell here $700 and he's been sending me a bill for the last six years and I've only been paying, able to pay $50 on it, at the end of the seventh year, I'm hoping that I can live out that year because in the seventh year, he's required to forgive my debt. 
Wouldn't that be wonderful if you never had to have a debt over seven years? How many got a, a house loan for 30 years here? Don't raise your hand. I mean, it's amazing to me. They never tell you what you're going to pay for a car nowadays on that. They just tell me how much it is a month. They don't tell you how many years that includes at so much a month. People aren't interested. Well, can I, can I afford $477 for 17 years? I don't care. I just want a new car. Well, that's not God's plan. So then we had these guys during that period of time that say, hey, wow, you know, I can loan money now and I can charge them interest. No, you could not charge interest. He can't charge me interest any longer because we're a believer. We're part of the same family. So that was every seven years that took place. Then every 50th year, some real amazing things took place. One thing that took place is let's say that a young farm couple, you know, they've inherited 200 acres from their parents. They've got vineyards, they've got fruit trees, they, they raise vegetables, they raise grain, you know, but they've, they've had some crop failures, they've had some blights come in, the locusts came in. And for some reason, this, this couple has just never been able, and they, they passed it on to their next generation, and finally they, they become so broke that the only thing they can do is to sell their sons and daughters as slaves. Can you imagine selling your sons or your daughters as slaves to another Jewish family, not to strangers? You couldn't sell them to other nations. You could buy slaves from another nation, but you could not sell your children. But then they become perpetual slave because they've got to wait until this 50th year to get another opportunity. However, if you had a blood relative, he's called a kinsman. They're called a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman is a person who has money to redeem or to buy something. So let's say you have a brother. He's a wealthy. He's got 450 cows he milks every, every day. You know, he's a rich farmer like all you rich farmers are here. You know, you're making money head over heels. I've heard all the news about that. No. But anyway, he's a rich farmer. He says, I, w I, want, to, I want to redeem my brother's property. So he has the right to buy back the property that has been passed on several different times. He's able, he's able to buy back his son, his brother rather, or it could be a cousin or an uncle, whatever it might be. How many know the book of Ruth is about all this? Because it was the kinsman redeemer involved there. I won't go into that story. But anyway, if you had a kinsman redeemer, how many know who the kinsman redeemer really is? Jesus. He had to be a special anointed individual. He had to have his pocket full of coins. How many know that Jesus was very rich 
But he became poor. You know why? He spent all his money on redemption. He made an absolute investment of all his riches. He became poor so that we, through his riches, might, through his poverty rather, may become rich. You see, God said the land always belongs to me. And so he said, you don't dare sell it or get rid of it forever. And so God guaranteed the children of Israel that what he had promised to Abram several hundreds of years before, that I'm giving this territory to you, you people. This belongs to you forever. That was God's plan. So Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. Now on the 50th year, Everything had to be redeemed, bought back. But not only that, anybody that was in prison was set free. No life sentences. You ever feel like you're in a life sentence? You've sinned so much that there's just no escape? You've been in bondage for so long, there's no, there's no way out? There's nobody that loves you enough that will pay your way out. There's no bondsman for you. There's no way you can escape. You've been in alcoholism or drug addiction or sexual perversion. I don't care what it is. I don't care how deep your sins are. Jesus spent it all to buy you back. That's what redemption is. He paid paid a full price. He even shed the last drop of his blood. The shedding of his blood, remember, started as a baby. When's the first time Jesus shed blood? When he was eight days old, as a circumcised eight days old. When's the next time, probably? The Garden of Gethsemane, when drops of blood fell to the ground. We won't go into that. But Jesus shed every drop of blood to buy back to per. Do you know, the blood that fell from his perspiration to the ground, what was the declaration? What was the proclamation? This earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. And everything that Satan has gained, he's losing it. Because I'm buying it back. I'm buying it back. This Jubilee, a year proclamation, it's the year of liberty. Liberty means to liberate. It's the year of release. It's a year of freedom. It's a public announcement. There was a trumpet blast that was made on the Day of Atonement. How many... Willing to make a proclamation today. We're going to do that in about two hours and 15 minutes here. (laughs) I've only got six pages here, so. This Jubilee is a new beginning. Absolute. Can you imagine the joy when the 50th year, when the children, every day they was listening, is it going to be this day? There was a certain appointed day. And they had to have their ears in tune 
so that they did not miss the sound of the trumpet. So they had to, they had to be very careful that they were not in a position. They had to keep their mind focused at what time of frame this is in. Because as soon as they heard that announcement, can you remember, can imagine the joy. People threw away their slave clothes. The bars were opened up. I don't mean B-A-R-S. I mean the bars in a prison were opened up. They were set free. They went back to their families. People that had been disjointed, separated for years. Now, it was a time of repentance. It was a time to resolve all issues. You know, when we connect some of these scriptures together, after all, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answered that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Then he went on and say, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. How many love your neighbor? Good. How many love your enemies? He keeps going on and on a little bit deeper. You know, those people that's way out, we've left them way out there, or they have left us. Oh, they won't talk to me, so I don't want anything to do with them. We're, we're, my wife and I are dealing with family right now that they say, we will forgive each other. We just don't want, we don't want anything to do with you at all forever again. Now, that's not the kind of jubilee that God is talking about. God wants his family to be in harmony. He wants your family to be intact, to be in harmony. I know that a lot of families have gone through divorces and things. It's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. But I want you to know, I don't know how God can work everything out, but I've just seen him do wonders and miracles in families. I've actually known some families that got divorced and remarried, and now the two couples, the, the four of them, are in fellowship with each other. You see, God can perform miracles. This jubilee is a miracle. Six years maximum before total forgiveness, I mentioned that. Okay, we want to apply this to right now. I'm going to apply it to right now. The good news today that the plan is already initiated <coughs> come back in Jesus' name. There we go. The year of Jubilee arrived. There we are. Oh, sorry. The year of Jubilee arrived in Jesus Christ. He is our Jubilee. Amen? How many believe Jesus is your Jubilee? He's your liberator. He offers freedom to you today. 
Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ear. Your ear. Now, I'm not going to promise you you're going to become a millionaire. Probably you won't. Maybe there's some hidden millionaires here already. But by the time you fulfill your obligation, some of that millions are going to be reduced a little bit. Because you see, one of the provisions is that you cannot see your brother struggling with his debt. And you have the resources to help him. You can't do that. You see, God wants to teach us. He wants to stimulate in us a lavish giving. I'm talking about a lavish giving in which we will learn that it is more blessed to give than receive. Just little things. We have a neighbor that I, my wife and I were privileged to lead to the Lord last year. And about a week or so after we led him to the Lord, he passed away. One year ago, this month, he has a son that's only 47 years old, discovers has cancer in his spine, his liver, his kidneys. He hasn't been able to work. And so we heard that he has to go to Rochester this week. So we, we called up his mother and said, we're, we're going to pay for the expense for him to go. I'm not saying this from a benefit. I just want to tell you what God is telling us. Because he's been so lavish with us, he wants us to be lavish in helping other people. There's so many people out there that have no place to turn to. They have no one to turn to. No one to call mom or dad. No one that they can depend upon. And so God said in his word here, you sh in Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11, you shall not harden your heart. You shall not shut the door to your poor brother. You shall open wide your hands. You shall lend sufficiently whatever he needs without interest. And you should beware of a wicked thought in your heart that could become sin among you. So God said, learn how to give. That's what Jubilee is about. It's about helping somebody else that can no longer help themselves. So Jubilee is your personal release from bondage and spiritual debt. Spiritual debt is worse than financial debt. Jubilee is blessed opportunity to release other people from their bondage. But I declare to you there will be a grand finale. A grand finale of Jubilee. 
Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's begin reading in verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do you say among yourselves that there is no resurrection of the dead? That false doctrine had crept into the early church. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, it's vain, it's useless, it has no value whatsoever. We should close the church doors. And your faith is also vain or empty. Yes, and we are false, have found false witnesses of God because we have testified that, of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not raise. For if the dead do not raise, then Christ is not risen. Think of it. And if Christ had not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. All the saints of God that we've known, our, our loved ones, our wives, our husbands, our parents, our brothers and sisters, all that's in Christ, they've all perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits, plural, of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Afterwards, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, the fulfillment, the final, the grand finale, the grand jubilee. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority, that word authority means jurisdiction and all power, for he must reign till he's put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And beloved, it will be destroyed. Yes. For he has put all things under his feet. But when we say all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will be also subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, listen. Here's a kind of a little survey I did myself. And it's, it's my, kind of my prediction. Matthew 24, 31, Jesus said, He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Okay? How many believe that's going to happen? Yes. The last enemy to be destroyed is death in all of its devastating forms when that happens. 
the Lord himself would descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Isn't that wonderful? You've got to wait for grandpa and grandma first. Nobody here can get in the first line. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 16. Then we who are alive and remain. Now, Paul thought he was going to be in that group. He said, we. That's 2,000 years ago. I thought Jesus said he's coming quickly. He is. It's going to be in a moment, in the blink of an eye. But his quickly and our quickly is different. We have to do what? Occupy till he comes. He said, then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. They're coming to heaven halfway. We're going to meet them halfway. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. First Thessalonians 4, 17, 18. And the grand finale is Romans 8. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8. I promise you this is the last scripture portion I'm going to read. It's only 13 chapters. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. How many are thankful that there's no longer any bondage, no slavery? You're living in slavery. You don't have to live in slavery to anything any longer, sin or anything else. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. Aren't you glad you can call your father your spiritual father, Abba, call Almighty God, Abba, my father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, not because of any good thing we can do, not because of our good works, not because of worked yourself to the bone to please him. No, it's not by works, but by faith only in Jesus Christ and by his grace. And if children, then we are heirs. Think of it. Heirs of God and joint heirs, a joint heir. That means we both own it together. He don't, he don't have the driver's seat and I sit in the back seat. No, we own the car together. That's joint heirs. <coughs> Indeed, if we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Think of it. Glorified together with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creation. Now, creation is a part of this. I'll tell you. You know what the worst animal we have in Minnesota? Mosquitoes. I mean, the tiniest tiniest critter there is up there can leave the biggest nasty bite on you. I'll be glad to be living in a mosquito-free world. How about you? <laughs> For the creation was subjected to futility, not by any sin or anything they committed, but because of him who subjected it in hope. 
That was Adam. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. Think of it. This world is going to be cleaned up. Absolutely cleaned up. From the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans. You want to know why that there's all the weather patterns have changed the way they are? It's the travailing and the groaning of the of the earth itself. The earth is a living. The soil is alive. You farmers know that. The soil is alive. There's life down there. And, and creation in its own ways is, is crying out, crying out for mercy. Not only they, but also we who have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not, we see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know how, uh, what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know, oh, hallelujah, we know all things work together for our good, for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknew, he knew you before the eternities. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You're going to be like Jesus. Did you hear me? You're going to be like Jesus. You say, what will I look like in eternity? Take a look at Jesus, whatever your image of Jesus is. And don't go to the Hollywood to find that image. that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, those he also called, whom he called, the also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. In the mind of God, it's already completed. Well, you say, well, then, if it's already completed, I don't have anything to do. Oh, yes, you do. Get in the Word. Get on your knees. Be faithful in serving do what you can to leave suffering while you're here. Make it easier for somebody else, even if it's not easy for yourself. What then shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Isn't that wonderful? The grand finale. Every person in this building can be a part of that. I, we have a professional trumpeter here someplace. I, I was going to try to do this myself, but the professional trumpeter here, I'd like to have her come. Well, I, I've heard that there are female angels <laughs> So we happen to have a female shofar or trumpet blower. And I want you to stand with me this morning. And I'd like two or three, at least two or three good blasts out of that. And we're going to make a proclamation after that blast.
is that we are going to participate in a jubilee that's perpetual. I'm expecting people here that's in this service right now. I'm really expecting that God is going to do some miraculous events in your family life, among your friends, among your neighbors, I mean, people that maybe you've had, you know, some people you just tolerate. But just put that on, put the word temporarily there, because God's going to change you so much. <laughs> You're waiting on God to change them, and he's going to change you in the process, see? And you're not going to let it be a long-term thing. I'm, I'm believing for financial miracles. How many need, anybody here really, honestly, you need a financial miracle? Yes, amen. This lady, anybody else? Just one person? Wow. I want to tap into the resources here then. Somebody else over here raised their hand. Okay? Anybody? Okay? Yeah, I'm going to believe God with you for a financial miracle within... This, we're, we're in the 49th year, end of the 49th year, and we, she's going to blow the trumpet now. So that means to, today, now, it's going to be beginning to happen for you. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's lift our hands to the Lord, and let's, let's just present ourselves to the Lord, every person that's here. We are, we're appearing before the Lord right now, and we're just going to say, Lord Jesus, here I am. You got one more breath in you? Wow. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Father, we're so thankful that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. The same Holy Spirit that anointed him when he stood up in the synagogue and said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The same anointing rests upon your servants here today. These are your children, your sons and your daughters by spiritual birth, Lord. They also are individuals who to whom the inheritance, the joint heir inheritance belongs to with Jesus Christ. And Lord, right now we are making a declaration and a proclamation that this is our jubilee. This is our jubilee. You said, this is my jubilee. This is my jubilee. I'm going to enter into new beginnings in my own life. This is a brand new day for me. This is a new opportunity to repent. This is a new opportunity to lavishly give and reach out to somebody else, Lord. This is the opportunity to declare that Jesus Christ is alive forever. And so we also are alive forever. So we thank you and we praise you right now. We praise you for victory. We praise you for freedom, for liberation. Anyone that's under any slavery, any kind of bondage right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we declare them to be free. The prison doors are open right now. The oppressed are set free in the power of Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' wonderful name. Lord, we proclaim deliverance for our children. Even our children that are in the category of prodigals right now. Brothers, sisters, family members, Lord. We want to be a kinsman redeemer. We want to be willing to pay the price, whatever it is, to rescue our family members, our sons, our daughters. Lord, we will not forget them because you have not forgotten them. You said, inasmuch as we do it to the least one of my brothers, you have done it unto me, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to be that individual that can see and hear the cry of somebody that needs liberty. We want to proclaim liberty to them right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we go home, Lord, we're going to step on our property and we're going to claim it for Jesus. We're going to claim the things that belong to us and to our children, our children, children, and our children, children, children. We're going to proclaim what belongs to us as sons and daughters of God. So we speak blessing and prosperity over everyone in this building in the name of Jesus. And if we're going to dismiss you from... If you need to go home to your activity, anybody here that needs prayer, I'll stay here as long as you need, want prayer. Use a family, use an individual. If you have a person in, on your heart that, that you know really needs, needs to know that there's a jubilee available to them, we'll pray with you. So Father, we commit your people, your people, These are your people that you love, that you brought out of bondage, just like you did the children of Israel. Lord, you've established a journey for them. They're on a journey. They're headed for the new Jerusalem. They're headed for eternity. They have eternal life. They're going to live forever. They're going to rule and reign with you, Jesus. We don't understand all the descriptions of it are all the promises and provisions that's involved here but we know that we're going to rule and reign with you and so Lord we give peace to every home in this place right now and we bless them heal their bodies give them strength and grace for whatever they're going through we pray in Jesus name Amen. Amen